Well, hopes of a, of a great holiday have been dashed for many um, with the collapse of Thomas Cook in the last week. I read about one lady, Leanne Jones, uh, who was saying how rubbish this all is because she'd been saving up Thomas Cook vouchers every birthday and Christmas and had 800 pounds worth of vouchers to take her two young children to Disneyland, but now they're worth absolutely nothing, which is awful, isn't it? But it made me think, how do we know what the Bible says about our future hope? How do we know that that is real, that that is genuine? How can we be sure that this is not just some paper promises that will amount to nothing in the end? I mean, the atheist says there's no God, and and when you die, it's game over and simply non-existence. But the Bible says after death, we will uh, face God, our creator, on a day of judgment. And so the question is, can, can we know what will happen on that day? How can we be certain that on that day that we be welcomed uh, into eternal glory, that we will experience salvation? Well, what does God have to say? Let's open the Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 5. And if you don't have a Bible, please put your hand up and we'd be glad to bring you one. Just keep your hands up and uh, people will bring you a Bible And once you get a Bible, you can turn to page 1132. Or if you're using an app on your phone, turn up to Romans chapter 5. This morning, we're going to focus on the last three verses. We've been looking at this section over the last four weeks. And we're going to zero in on verses 9 to 11. But I want to just take the time to read the section from verse 1 because it's such a glorious section. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And here are the verses we're going to examine this morning. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, 
having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is God's word. Now it's clear from the context that we need to be saved. There are two aspects to our plight in these uh, few verses. Uh, Firstly, we are sinners facing God's anger, as it says in verse 9. Because our spiritual state, apart from Jesus, is this. We considered it last week, still powerless, still godless, still sinners. And so we're facing God's just condemnation, the Bible says. Now, last week I mentioned Mez McConnell's book, uh, The Creaking on the Stairs, and uh, we hope to have some copies of this available in the next few weeks so you can, you can buy a copy if you're interested. But in it, he records the moment in Yorkshire in 1990 where he was woken up by the sound of a door being smashed in, the lights coming on, a horde of police officers bursting through the door, and that there was no time for him to think or, or to panic. He just sat there in his boxer shorts, just confused and resigned. The crime spree was over. They were well and truly busted. Stolen goods were lying all around the flat. Drugs and cash were on the table nearby. And a big burly policeman pulled Mez to his feet with these words, off we go, son. Time to pay for what you've done. Now, we may not have committed uh, crimes that have uh, caused the police to burst into our house, but the Bible says that morally and spiritually, This is our story. Uh, We're like squatters in God's world. We've taken all that he's given us and uh, we've taken it without thanking him or acknowledging him. We've grabbed all the good things. We've we've abused them, misused them. We've, We've used them selfishly for ourselves as if we were the center of the universe. We've damaged ourselves. We've damaged those around us. We are guilty sinners. And so our day in God's court is coming when we will have to pay for what we have done. Off we go, son. Time to pay for what you've done. We are facing God's wrath and condemnation. And our plight is further compounded by the reality of verse 10 that says that we are God's enemies. See, these sins are not just about breaking some impersonal rules like speeding along the road. They are profoundly damaging to our relationship with God. They are our rebellious rejection of God. And also they indicate uh, our enmity towards him, but also that he is an enemy of us. We should be in no doubt that God is the enemy of sinners. He's the obstacle to our ultimate happiness. Because if God is against us, it doesn't matter who is for us. We are doomed, the Bible says. And so we're not just guilty sinners facing the wrath of God, but we're rebel enemies facing eternal separation from the friendship and the blessing of God. We need salvation. That's what the Bible teaches us. We're sinners And we need forgiveness and righteousness. We are enemies and we need reconciliation and acceptance. And so notice with me how extraordinary is the the confidence of the Apostle Paul who wrote these words in verses 9 and 10. Twice he uses the phrase, we shall be saved. 
That's why we have so much joy in trusting what Jesus Christ has done for us. God's good news is that through the death of his son on the cross, all who trust him can be saved from his righteous wrath and from the experience of eternal separation from him. Because of the blood of Jesus, guilty sinners become justified, declared right with God. Because of his death, enemies become reconciled and welcomed into his kingdom of blessing and eternal life. And the fullness of our salvation that we begin to enjoy now in part will only be fully known on that day, the day of God's judgment. Because only on that day when God's anger and judgment is poured out, on that day when true justice will be finally seen, on that day when all evil and wickedness is punished, only on that day will we know how amazing it is that God has saved us from his wrath. How extraordinary Jesus was that he came and stood in my place to bear the wrath of God so that I did not have to bear it. How amazing it will be on that day to realize that instead of wrath, I receive a welcome into God's everlasting kingdom. Instead of being banished, I'm going to walk into a brand new world with a, with a glorified body that no longer experiences indwelling sin and all the pain and confusion that's part of the human story. On that future day, we will experience full salvation that we only know in part today we shall be saved Paul says but the second thing I want us to underline from these verses is we can be sure because twice there's this other phrase did you notice it how much more look back at verse 9 again since we have now been justified by his blood, declared right with God, by the blood of Jesus, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Do you see the force of the argument here? God has already done the hard thing, and he did it at great cost. Sinners have been made righteous, justified by the blood of Christ. Enemies have been reconciled to God through the death of God's Son. And so he's done the really hard thing at great cost, then how much more certain we can be that he's going to do the easier thing. That's the wonderful logic of these verses here. If he can justify sinners, then how much more certain can we be that people who are now right with God will be saved from God's wrath? If he can reconcile enemies to the death of his son, then how much more certain we can be that as friends we will be eternally saved by Jesus in his resurrection life? And do you see why these are not empty words? These are not empty Thomas Cook vouchers. Because the crucifixion of Jesus Christ has demonstrated in history that it is beyond doubt 
that God loves us. And this is real. This is genuine. Now imagine with me that you'd saved up a whole year's salary and you'd bought a, uh, a huge big diamond and you've gone to the jeweler and you've paid the jeweler to turn this rough diamond into a beautiful diamond ring and it's going to be a gift for someone you love. Having done all that, do you think that you will forget to pick it up? Do you think that you'd sit there and think, well, it's going to cost me £1.70 to get on the bus to pick it up. I'm not sure it's worth the bother. Of course not. A year's salary. You're not going to neglect to take full possession of it. That God has acted in history to enable our salvation at such great cost of his one and only son dying in our place, then how much more certain can we be that having made that investment, that God's not going to fail to take full possession of what he's purchased, that he's going to take hold of us. See, if God came in human flesh to redeem us, how much more certain can we be that in the, in the resurrection life of Jesus, the one who is now at God's right hand, who's been given all authority in heaven and earth, is interceding for us at God's right hand, how, how much more certain can we be that the living Christ will absolutely guarantee and work all things to ensure that those that he has purchased by his sacrifice will experience full salvation, will experience the same resurrection life. Here's the point. Our full salvation is fully guaranteed. God is not against us. But in every way, he's shown that he is for us. Now turn over to Romans chapter 8. We're going to get to this chapter eventually, but it's too good to let it sit by. So let's look at chapter 8 and verse 31, because really this is a continuation of his argument. Look at 8.31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies? Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Do you get the point? We can be sure now that we will be saved then. That's the glorious truth that's being expanded here. But notice with me that the end point of all this is not merely assurance. It is actually enjoyment and exaltation. Look at verse 11. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We can boast in God. See, this, this is a section that ends with exaltation. Uh, three times in this section of chapter 5, 
uh, we've had this note. Verse 2, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We remember it was the same word in verse 3. We also boast in our sufferings. Verse 11, not only is this so, but we also boast in God. The great goal of our salvation is not simply to escape the wrath of God, but it's to secure for us the joy of knowing and having God. He is the goal of salvation. The point of being reconciled is to enjoy relationship with God. Now consider how incredible is this possibility? Uh, everyone's looking for love, for human love. We saw last week though that human love does not compare to divine love. That God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is a God of incredible love. And if you're trusting Christ, I want you to know he loves you. You're not here by accident. He chose you. He loves you. He knows everything about us. He still loves us. What an amazing thing. The God who created everything wants us to know the fullness and the depth of his amazing love for us. The God who is the source of all creation, the God who is the source of all life, of all joy, of all peace, has chosen to enter into a relationship with you through the Lord Jesus Christ that we might enjoy Him. I was playing around with this idea in my head, just thinking this through, and you know, what would it be like you know, if we got the chance to sit down with a famous creative author like, uh, like J.K. Rowling? I actually wrote to her, her office is around the corner, I wrote to her and I said, I'm fascinated by how your books contain scripture and biblical ideas, I'm delighted if you want to sit down and have a coffee, have a chat about it, had a very nice letter back with a Harry Potter stamp saying that Joe was a little busy to see me, well you can understand that, you can understand that, but what would that be like, to be able to sit down with an author like that and just chat away, what would it be like to spend time with a great artist who can just paint a picture that is so vivid and can convey so much emotion and see how that person, that man or woman does their craft. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing to, to, to meet one of the great singers who when they sing can just move you to tears or one of the great composers who, who, who writes music that can soothe and calm your soul? What would we like to spend time with a genius who, who understands quantum physics and, and, and relativity? And you know what, if you ever did manage to have that conversation, do you think you'd ever drop it into a conversation with others? Oh yeah, it reminds me of the time I was speaking to Joe Jay, Jay Rowling. Um, you'd just find ways to drop in, wouldn't you? Now here's the point. This great God is the great author, the master painter, the great composer of music, the one who created matter, the rules of quantum physics. And we, through Christ, get to have a genuine relationship with the living God. Something that he's made possible at great cost through the death of his son. How extraordinary that we can say, I know God. And that God knows me. He loves me. 
I find that quite hard to believe because I see so much that's objectionable in myself and I don't see the whole of it. And yet this God loves me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What great love he has lavished on me. To have God is to have all treasure, to have all wisdom, to have, to have everything that ultimately satisfies the heart. And I get the joy of living my life now to glorify him who loved me at such great cost. Again, I, I think we're only going to fully appreciate this in the future. But the point is of verse 11 that this is the joy and the privilege of the believer that starts now. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It starts now for the believer, for the person who's trusting Christ. We can boast in God. We can savor God. The Psalms are full of statements about boasting in God. Listen to Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Or Psalm 73, where, where the psalmist lands. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And such is the delight and the confidence of the psalmist in God that he can't help but to advertise and spread the good news. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. If you don't know him today, can I tell you, taste and see. There's no one like our God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, if I've, what I've been saying today sounds like gobbledygook to you. It, it makes no sense whatsoever. And you're thinking, why on earth are all these people in this room? Does this make sense to anybody? Maybe it means that you're still not reconciled to God. Maybe it means that you're still godless. And I would encourage you to think about asking all the questions that um, you need to ask. Uh, as Anna discovered, there, there are more answers than she, she didn't know that there was evidence. We, we've got a course running at the moment called Glad You Asked. Uh, it's meeting on Thursday nights. There's one meeting centrally and there's, there's one in the north, one in the south. You could come in on the next one and, and, and be part of that. Ask your questions. Find out about God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, and my friends here who are Christians, uh, and, and maybe you're saying, well, actually, I'm not really boasting in God. I think we've all had the experience where like we, we come out of Sunday, come out of church, we think, oh, yeah, this is amazing. and I'm, I, have, I have got joy and I have got delight. And then Monday comes and, and your kid pukes up all over you and the train, the train is canceled and you're packed in. On, and and, and how, how on earth does that relate to this? Well, there's a great little book by Tim Chester called Enjoying God, Experiencing the Power and Love of God in Everyday Life where he helps people, help you think about this. How can I, in the everydayness of my life, come to enjoy God, apply and meditate the truth of God to 
my life. I, I'm, I've got two free copies available, which I'll put at the front here. And if you'll take it away and read it, and if you enjoy it, pass it on to someone else, please do take it. Don't take it if it's just going to fill your shelf. Um, I'm starting to read through it myself, and it is, it is a great joy. But maybe you're saying to yourself, you know, it's a bit too conceptually hard to think about God and enjoying God. How, how do I do this more? Well, part of Tim Chester's answer is learn to love God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Learn to dig into the particularities of how God has revealed himself, especially by looking at Jesus Christ. There's nothing abstract about Jesus. If you want to understand the glory of God, you look, at, you look for the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, as it says in 2 Corinthians. Look at his life and know this is God come in human flesh. Look how he relates to people. Look how he deals with the challenges of life. And know that this is the God that if you're trusting Christ, you can enjoy and exalt him. I was um, with uh, some folk I didn't know very well. We were in a very sad situation. We were watching someone that we loved and cared for uh, dying. And we were in a different lounge. And, and uh, we sort of, one of the guys in the room uh, talked about the other guy's footwear, his trainers. And he couldn't help himself. We had a three-minute infomercial. He told us about his Nike trainers, how very comfortable they were. He's actually got three pairs of these Nike trainers. He keeps buying them because he loves these trainers. They're so amazing. And it was quite incredible. They're, they're in a kind of very sad situation. We had a three-minute infomercial about something he was quite excited about, which is good. I mean, I, there's other brands available. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not an ambassador for Nike. There are other brands available. But here's the point. When we really enjoy and are excited about things, we will share about it. And so if you're struggling, think, oh, actually, I don't really talk about my faith. Step one, start enjoying God. Come a little closer at Christ. Because now, if you're trusting him, you are reconciled. And you can boast in this God. He is your God. He loves you. And we can go into this week living for his glory. Let's pray.